best way to learn Retracing your steps till you know Welcome back to Empowered Former LDS, the podcast. I'm Glenn Ostland, and this is episode four, Carrie Rivera and Reclaiming a Sense of Self. And today, Wendy and I sit down with Carrie, who is an admin in the Empowered Former LDS Facebook group. So be careful. She does have the power to send you to Facebook jail. You want to go to Facebook jail? I've been there. It's not fun. And it's ridiculous. Who put me in Facebook jail? Anyhow. Now, I want to give you all a quick trigger warning here because Carrie does talk about an episode in her life that involved a major betrayal that involves some sexual assault. Now, she does this as a way to illustrate one of the ways that she's learned to become more empowered by examining deeply painful experiences, raising her own self-awareness, and the impact that this experience had on her own separation from the church, developing her own sense of self, which is still an ongoing process because Carrie's husband, who was a non-Mormon, never mo, when they got married, well, he ended up joining the church after Carrie left. And, you know, you can listen on to hear how Carrie is dealing with all of that and using that experience also to create a stronger, more empowered sense of self, something that she can claim as hers not something that any institution gave to her, and certainly not something to be used as any kind of pseudo-evidence that would say that said institution is true. And so, with no further ado... I'm going to go the topics I threw out, too, and just kind of, like, see where it goes. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, the one I've been thinking about is rediscovering or reclaiming yourself and separating yourself from the system. I love that. And, you know, the the other thing that I'd love to hear you talk about, Carrie, is this idea of empowerment. Like, what does it even mean to be empowered? So I I think it ties in with Mm -hmm. that. So let's just go. Let's just take it away. What do you want to talk about, Carrie? Well, first of all, why don't you introduce (laughs) yourself so that listeners will know a little bit about who you are and what you're background is and what do you want to say about yourself well my name is carrie rivera it was not always a rivera (laughs) Um, no no, i was i was born a wee child a long time ago um no i am let's see i went to school at byu hawaii my parents i was second generation there my parents met there as part of a musical performing group um they i they're unique people. <laughs> They've always been very like, uh, how do you describe it? They're very proud of their faith. Mm-hmm. And I grew up in such a way that I, one of my earliest memories from being a very young child was giving a talk in a sacrament meeting. And I was probably three years old and brought up on stage during Easter Sunday. I can remember the talk. And all day after giving that talk, I got all these compliments from these people in my ward and I was so proud of myself. I remember going home that afternoon, getting in the car to go home after church and telling my mom, like, mom, you're not going to believe it. All these people said I did such a good job. And here I am a three-year-old kid speaking in front of like 200 people. So if I could have sneezed then that would have been a good job, (laughs) but I am a good public speaker and I did a good job. And the thing that she responded to me with was, 
well, that wasn't really about you. That was about Jesus and that was about Christ and that was Uh, about God. And you had a moment to glorify God using your gifts. So he did that through you. So all of those compliments, none of them were really about you. So she was really Um, trying to temper your pride. Oh yeah. I mean, I, I really, I had to get it knocked down way far because, you know, I was heaven forbid a a three-year-old's proud of something, but you know, it's, it's all with the lens of, for me and for my story personally, um, I am the child of converts and I grew up in South Carolina. So outside of any kind of like legitimate Mormon bubble, but we created our own bubble and we did a pretty good job of that. So we were raised in such a way that there was no question, no expectation, no thought of, of deviating from things. The only school I applied to was BYU Hawaii. I went there. I loved the three and a half years I spent there. Um, although if I look back, there were probably some early indications in some of the processes and policies I saw where even while I was there, I started to recognize that there was a difference in people who leaned on the gospel as an excuse instead of a guideline to live their lives. So, oh, I'm sorry, I'm at the registrar's office and I didn't get you registered. Well, you need to forgive me versus I'm working at the registrar's office and I want to do a good job to help these people live a great life and fulfill their their potential on things. So um, went to BYU-Hawaii, graduated from the bubble, testimony still intact, actually went through the temple on my 21st birthday, which was four days before graduation, and moved back to South Carolina and hit a total brick wall with my life because I was 21, unmarried, educated, and what next? (laughs) So um, kind of an interesting thing. I had a lot of people saying, oh, you're going to serve a mission. Oh, just assuming because I was single, but I knew enough people who had served missions and I knew enough friends whose parents were mission presidents and talked about how the sister missionaries made up like 9% of the overall population, but 90% of the conflict resolution (laughs) challenges they had to solve. Um, So I never really felt like called or drawn to do that, but I served in other ways. So most notably, um, I was a Relief Society president a couple of times. I did that in college. And then again, in my singles branch that I, I wound up in, and I also served as an ordinance worker in the temple from 2003 to 2004, which is a fascinating time because it was um, when certain things were changed in the initiatory process. So I learned it one way and then I learned it another way. And, uh, and I'll tell you, that was even in the, in the depths of belief, that was hard. <laughs> when, when they came and they changed it and said, mm-hmm. actually, this thing that we said was true, we're kind of changing. Yeah. This thing that we promised you was like, I mean, let's like be a real. New, it was a new and everlasting covenant kind of thing. Until some people complain. <laughs> I don't uh-huh. know. Yeah. Um, everlasting. That's an interesting word, isn't it? Yeah. So, uh, but, but it's hard because, you know, I'm, I'm in this. I believe this. And all of a sudden it's like, what, what is it not? Well, why is it? Well, then why, why did I have to like check on my cognitive dissonance and get over the fact that like, I was wearing, and I don't know how much we want to describe about what it is <laughs> or depending on the audience, but you know, I, I had to sit there and, and check my own brain while I was awkwardly anointed and washed, yeah. not symbolically. Um, and then, you know, and then my first year as a temple ordinance worker, I 
awkwardly washed and anointed some people and did my best to keep it appropriate, but I'm also an honest, good person. So I could see where things could happen in there that, that would have been a little bit awkward, but um, yeah, I mean, you've never really known humor until you've tried to put a one piece garment on a significantly aged person who is covering their modesty with the sheet <laughs> and you're sitting there trying to help like it was without touching anything on the ground, heaven forbid. Um, interesting, interesting experience with that. But again, the hardest thing wasn't doing something so weird. It was having something change in it when I was taught to believe and have full faith and yeah. trust in all of that. So, so that, w- that was 2003, 2004, around that mm-hmm. time. When did, when did you end up leaving the church? So that process probably, there were some things in 2007 that started to get a little more challenging, mm-hmm. mainly just being single in the church for so long, mm. because I felt like I had done everything I could possibly do as a single member of the church. And it still wasn't enough. It wasn't getting me to that next thing. I mean, here I had driven, I was a hundred miles away from the temple, mind you. So I had driven round trip 200 miles every other weekend for two years in my early twenties. And, you know, I'm like, okay, so what else? I, during this time also taught temple prep and I put together probably 10 couples from my branch. I was kind of a matchmaker, the activities chair while I was doing all of this. And all of a sudden I'm like sitting there and these new people are coming into college and they're 17, 18 years old. And I'm getting to be 10 years older than them and have nothing in common except for the fact that we're single and we're Mormon. So, hey, welcome. This is, you know, this is where you belong. And it all of a sudden got to be a real drain. And I felt more about it was taking more than it was filling. Mm. And it just didn't align with what I thought my life could, should, would be. And that opened up some really challenging situations where I found myself completely unprepared and unready to handle making grown-up decisions outside of the black and white morality of the LDS church that I always had. And that left me prone to become a victim of sexual assault and some other people. Like, I don't know. I mean, I, I say that and it took years and years and years to even realize that was what happened because my brain was still so immersed in the LDS mindset that I thought it was my fault. I thought it was something that I had done. I thought that, oh, well, this is why they tell you not to go have a drink because you'll, you know, you'll get raped. So don't do that thing because that will happen. Well, they were right. So in a weird way, it almost even affirmed what I believed about the religion and the choices and not that, oh, hey, guess what? You're a human being who has the right to make choices for yourself and also say no when you want oh to my say gosh. no. Wow. I, I'm overwhelmed by emotion right now, <laughs> Carrie. Oh. Like I didn't expect this. So, so you had an you had an experience where you went to a bar. Do you want to talk like what happened? Well, it's, it's even worse than that. It was, um, it was someone who I'd been friends with for a very long time. And it was someone who I knew through the church. Yeah. It was someone who um, I had been a temple prep instructor with and taught them specific things. And someone who I didn't know was, Pretty much, I know now, a sociopath who was living a, do- a double life, but I didn't know. He was just a friend. Yeah. And he knew that I had started, like, having drinks every now and then, like, socially with people. Because I'm like, okay, so let me, I'm kind of depressed here. My life isn't really working out. What else can I do? What else is there? 
Should I be looking at something else? Should I be considering something else? And he specifically set up the situation where we went out drinking. I was like, sure, I'll go along with this. And zero expectation that anything like this would ever happen because I didn't know. I didn't know who this person was. I'd been friends with this person for probably five years and did not know that they weren't who they presented themselves to be. You didn't know the the shadow parts. No, you didn't know the shadow parts. I mean, you kind of guessed, Adam, because, you know, some people come in and spend a little more time in the bishop's office than other people. And, hmm. But, you know, I'm just a good person who's helping people. And here I'm questioning some things. And so they're like, oh, hey, you're drinking. We need to go out and drink together. And I mean, and I'll just say, like, the worst part was the reason I had absolutely no expectation of it was he was sealed in the temple to somebody else when this happened. And I'll tell you, that was an interesting part of deconstruction, too, when I realized, and this was just in the last couple of years, that the worst thing that happened then wasn't necessarily the physical assault, as horrible as that was, and as hard as that was to comprehend. It was losing some of my faith in the solidity of what that covenant was and what it meant. Because he had been, because he was sealed, he was married. Mm-hmm. Yep. When when he arranged this night for the two of you, mm-hmm. and so not only did the physical assault happen, but then there was just your view of what ceilings are, what temple yep. covenants are, even being able to trust somebody in the church took a yeah. real hit. Precisely, uh, it so was sorry, it was definitely a thing. Well, and it you know it's it's kind of interesting because I'm at a point now where all of this is so long ago. And yet, I mean, it took something that big to get me out of this little town that I was in that I loved. And so I had this crazy, like, opportunity to move to Phoenix, sight unseen. And I was like, okay, cool, go to Phoenix now and, and figure things out. But it was, it was what I needed to kind of pick up some pieces and start to replace things. And I got back into full activity with the church, I repented. (laughs) And, you know, because of course, I hold on, yeah, you repented of him taking advantage of you. Well, yes, to put it shortly. And I mean, and that process in and of itself was, you know, here I am, this kind of like broken person that doesn't realize how broken I am, trying to get things back on, move to Phoenix. There's really great singles wards with more like appropriate young professional people to hang out with. So I'm feeling a lot of promise. I'm like, all right, good. I'm going to jump back in and get this figured. And I go to the bishop to have that conversation. And before I can get a word out, the Bishop of the singles ward looks at me and like, tell me about the guy. <laughs> and so I'm like, well, well, I guess, I guess this isn't special or different or like, it, it almost felt like the go give me 10 Hail Mary's response. Cause he's like, here's the miracle of forgiveness. I'm going to assign this member of the bishopric to meet with you who ended up being lovely. And I had a great like connection with, but um, yeah, that was, that was the response to this. Nobody. And I told like my Bishop back in the old hometown too. I was like, I went in the day after this happened and turned in my recommended. I was like, take it. I don't want it. And never, ever, ever from any official source. Was there any sort of call out question, compassion, suggestion, knowledge, empathy, that it was anything other than, well, you probably shouldn't have been drinking and it's a pretty bad sexual sin you got on your hands now. So you felt like the experience, some responsibility for the way you were mishandled um, was partly your fault because you were drinking. Entirely my fault. 
is if I had followed that guideline, it wouldn't have happened. So Which, you really, you really internalized that for yourself. You felt entirely, not partially, entirely responsible for it. Entirely. It wasn't wow. until his now ex-wife reached out because we were still friends. And I took, cause he had promised me that he would tell her what happened. He never did. And so she reaches out to me as they're getting separated about something else. And I'm like, I have to tell you this thing. Cause you didn't know. And she was the one who shared with me. She's like, I'm not going to say this doesn't hurt, but I don't blame you. And that was the first inkling of, wait, maybe I'm not to blame for this. And that was two years after it happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it wasn't until there was national coverage on that Brock Turner case and people were coming forward and explaining that you cannot give consent if you are drunk, that I was finally like, well, that actually makes sense because there is no way in any scope of anything that I ever would have said yes to that situation, to that person, to that time. Like I wasn't in any way, shape or form thinking about sleeping with anybody or having sex. Like that was nowhere in my expectation. And yet here I was, and all of a sudden, well, if I'm the kind of person who does this, wait, what? But not just like does this, but does this with, wait, what? Like blew up my mind and perception. And I thought I was 100% responsible because I had gone out drinking. Yeah. Can, can I ask you, how, how do you, like, as you look back on that experience now, how do you feel about it? Like what, your degree of responsibility or anything like that? How do you feel about what happened? Absolutely not my responsibility. And more and more, it's becoming a thing that happened and it's not something that defines my story. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think that maybe this gets into the question of, you know, we're talking about empowered former LDS. What does empowered mean? Mm-hmm. To me, one of the definitions of empowered is being able to examine something that was deeply painful and deeply personal and being able to speak with it. And I know I'm kind of using a light tone and sometimes that's something people might do to mask it, but I've really pushed it that far out of it. Now, there are still like times and ways that it comes up and cycles up in different unique things and it's subconscious and I don't even realize it and it's still working with it. But to me, empowered means being able to take a real look at who you are and where you've been and the, the things that have happened to you slash happened for you and choosing what you want it to mean for you next. So the, so the power is the power of like clarity, the, the, the power mm-hmm. to be able to look back, examine it with clarity, and then some kind of power for, you said choosing, uh, like how you're reframing the story. The experience? Choosing how I reframe it, I think is part of it. Let me think about that a little bit more because it's, it's, you know, I don't believe in the false, positive, overly optimistic, sweep things under the rug idea anymore that, you know, honestly, listening to Turn It Off from the Book of Mormon musical was a great healing moment on that because I'm like, oh my gosh, like, no wonder I'm not equipped for deep emotional things to happen in my life. But um, yeah, I mean, part of it is a choice in how that's going to show up for your life and what it's going to mean. But I think it's, it's more of a choice about how much you're going to let it limit or bring down whatever you want to do next. 
Could you give me an example of that with, with like, what, what are some things in your life that this experience might have limited for you if you hadn't chosen to see it a different way? Well, I think it did limit for a long time, like what I thought of myself as a person. Mm. Um, and it, it also kind of ties into how I went through my faith transition because there were a lot of choices I made that were reactions to this. So leaving South Carolina was a definite knee-jerk response to this happening and I need to go. And I ran to a place where I knew one person who ended up moving like two months later, but I built a whole new life there. And, you know, uh, the early days of that life were, you know, the same thing with a hundred, hundred, 200, however many people that you see at church on Sunday that are also single adults and that kind of stuff. But <clears throat> sorry, pardon me. In, in Phoenix, I learned how to move from quantity to quality mm. in my personal affiliations and my personal choices. I started to learn who I was and appreciate that the gifts I have were mine and not because of this church that they were mine. And, and I feel like I'm, I'm kind of mashing a bunch of years on because this isn't like a fast linear thing. Like, Oh, one day I woke up and realized, Oh my gosh, like, I've been assigning and attributing too much power, too much control, too much credit to this thing for so long. Um, But it was a gradual process of like stepping out of my comfort zone, stepping out of what I knew, stepping into relationships with people who were just attracted to my circle and who came into my life through ways that weren't through assignment or obligation, or you happen to live in a ward boundary um, getting married through that. So I, I feel like I kind of like pushed through some things that had been kind of difficult for me and in, in establishing a loving consensual relationship with somebody who wasn't a member of the church and never like had that same bubble <laughs> around their head around humans and sexuality. And then stepping into that, stepping into actively pursuing all the things I ever wanted being marriage, motherhood, home, family, and getting to a place where like, I just had another big move. So I feel like my, my progression is also impacted by physical change, like a physical change of space. So Phoenix was kind of a, everything's blown up, retreat, connect with some new people, learn how to connect with people, learn what I have inside me to connect with people And then now that I'm more centered and grounded in that, choosing where to go next. So um, I felt in the last six months since moving to Texas now that it is like, I feel like I'm, I'm coming from thing, coming at things from a much stronger place of choice. And that's just a matter of practice over the years of continuing to move forward with things that might seem impossible and thinking less and less about this person and what they did and what it meant to me. And to the point that it's like, it's not even a, a daily thought. It's something that I look back on. And in, in doing something like this, I feel like sharing the story is one way of illustrating and helping people understand like how deep the belief and the programming can be, but also sharing that it's possible to get to a place where Whatever it is, fill in the blank, whatever trauma, whatever thing happened does not have to define who you are now and the next steps that you're going to take. 
I like that. I love that you have, you know, the story of your mom telling you about speaking um, and, and giving all the glory to God and it had nothing to do about you. And then I, I love how you turned your experience of, you know, watching the temple initiatories change. And then this experience with this uh, man who assaulted you. And what, what is it when you look at yourself <laughs> what is it that you tap into that helps you flip things around and to gain a different uh, perspective on things that really kind of set you up for trauma? Yeah. So I think that one of my God-given innate natural talents of all the things in this world is optimism. I have been told that I'm optimistic to a fault, which it might sound like a contradiction, but it's, it's possible. It's shown up a couple of different ways in different times in my life. But optimism is one of my core being points. It is a strength I have. Um, that optimism got honed and trained. <laughs> I think that it's part of my natural self that aligned very nicely with the whole church construct. And it's something that was very easy to share and use and also get praise and validation. Even if in my mind, I was practicing sending that praise and validation straight up to Heavenly Father, it was still personally a very satisfying thing to do, to get to dig into my optimism, show that to other people. You can do it, we can do it, you can carry on, I can carry on. Like, oh, oh, I know that's really hard, but as long as we're following this and that and the other thing, it's gonna be fine. Like. There's a, a false sense of optimism that a lot of people use, but for me, it was genuine. And I, I really think that's why I was a leader and I gravitated to leadership roles in the church. Um, and so it's a combination of a natural thing that was also taught. But then as I've transitioned out, I'm starting to look at that as, oh, no, wait, that was actually just mine all along. I'm, I'm that optimistic. So optimism, I think, is one of my core natural characteristics that helps me push through and reframe it. It can also delay pushing through and reframing things sometimes <laughs> because I like to get to there really fast. Um, but I think that's one thing. It's, it, it helps me lean to perspective and, you know, okay, what's the next thing I need to learn from this or get out of it? Did, did, did I hear what you said right, Carrie? It, it almost sounded like you said that there's like a good kind of I mean, you didn't say these exact words, but like there's a good kind of optimism and there's a bad kind of optimism um, or like a fake kind of optimism and a real kind of optimism. D do you ever question yourself with your optimism of like, am I doing the good kind or am I doing the bad kind? Am I doing the real kind? Or am I going to do the fake, fake kind? Does that ever happen? I catch myself with it more than I hmm. question it. <laughs> like yeah. it's, it's a very difficult line to draw sometimes where I'm like, okay, I'm going to make everything okay versus, but am I actually okay? And I have, thankfully, some of these people who've like been attracted into my life are really good at seeing through that and saying, okay, what's the truth? <laughs> like, what are, what are you actually feeling right now? Hmm. Um, and the more I've had friends like that to practice with, the better I'm getting at like telling myself that, but it is still something that, um, that I, I do jump to optimism very, very quickly. And, and you feel like that's a gift. You feel like that's, you know, we're talking about what it means to be empowered. That's one of your powers. That's one of your superpowers. Um, sure. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. 
yeah and I, and I, it's also cool getting to see how the further I get out of the system the more I see how much I was bringing to the surface and how many things I do that I do well that have been mine all along like I, I love public speaking and that's something that in the church, you kind of take for granted because everybody does it and you cycle through and you have to, and even if you're not good at it, you have to like lean into this and you have to, you know, practice and get good at it and da, 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 da. But for me, public speaking is a very natural state of being. And that's something that I've been able to use in my career. I'm currently in a training role. And um, previously I worked for Make-A-Wish America. And so I got to speak to large crowds there. That was fun. I had like 7,000 people in a standing ovation in the Anaheim Arena once at a GameStop conference. That's cool stuff that I get to do. Um, and so I think there's, you know, it is kind of interesting when, when you have certain personality traits and characteristics that make sense within the system of the LDS church, it's very easy to get those lined up and maybe even entangled with the roles and expectations that are expected within the church. And, you know, this could go for the person who's a really great accountant or really great with numbers and they get called to be the ward clerk. And then, wow, the fact that I'm doing such a great job at this ward clerking must mean that the church is true because I was called to be a ward clerk. Kind of like some circular logical thinking that I think happens sometimes for people or, um, you know, when we see other people who excel in certain ways and they're taught to attribute it to the higher power, to whatever it is outside of themselves, you're thinking, wow, okay, yeah, no, I want to, I want more of that. I want to be able to speak like that. I want to be able to teach like that. And, oh, how do I do that? I stay faithful to the church. Okay, let me stay faithful to the church. So I can be those things too. Uh, Seems like you're really annoyed by the Mormon church. I mean, a little bit sometimes, but <laughs> yeah. unpacking, still unpacking. Not as, mm. this is, this is, we're specifically talking about it. So I'm bringing it up, but it, it's not as, it's not as much in my daily life as it used to be. Mm. But, but you still have that, like the, the, the way that you feel about it, like whether you're mm -hmm. expressing it on a daily, yeah. uh, that, that imprint, like it seems like you're really hesitant to say that anything good in your life ever came from the Mormon church because you don't want to give them credit for anything like that. And there's still that kind of, I just don't like that I was ever Mormon or anything about Mormon. That's, that's what it seems like. Is, is that how, is that how you feel? So I love hearing that reflected back because that's one of the things that I've been actively working on personally. Mm. Like, I mean, you know, and this has been 14 years since mm -hmm. I started the transition out process and officially removed my records in 2013. Um, and my response and my way out was to just cut it off. Mm. to just stop. I just, I'm like, oh, I'm not going to go. I'm going to go yeah. here now. I'm not going to go there. Um, and then at the beginning of 2020, I had this yoga meditation class and had a moment where they, we had these crystals that we were meditating with. And I hadn't done anything like that before. I just grabbed this random rock. And as I'm meditating and looking at this rock, it had two distinct points that were sticking up. And I thought, that's, that's how I feel about my life. I had pre-Mormon and post-Mormon. Mm. So my intention in that class shifted to how do I get back to claim those parts of me that I really, really liked that were really, really good in this system? And how can I bring those two things together? And then of course the pandemic hit, the world fell apart. And in the process of the world falling apart, my never Mormon husband, 
who worked at a garage that was owned by a really cool Mormon guy out in Gilbert decided he was interested in the church and uh, got baptized. So I think that's a really interesting astute thing because Wendy knows this, but we haven't talked before. And yet, obviously, there is something still there that is hung up. Yeah. So your husband now is is Mormon. Okay. (laughs) Which, you know, it's it's my answer for a lot of the things that I thought I had, quote unquote, resolved. I think I had actually maybe thrown it on the post Mormon shelf because <laughs> mm. I just put it all away. Yeah. Um, but it has been over the last two years, especially a lot more thinking time and energy has come up that, than I'd put into it in the past 10 years. Can I ask you a personal question? Go for it. Does it make it hard for you to respect him? No. Okay. And I will tell you why. Good. Because it has been so interesting seeing it kind of from the outside in Mm. and seeing the way things are presented and seeing the way I can completely understand what the appeal is. I know what the appeal is. I get the appeal. I lived the appeal. I loved, I loved the appeal of it when it was all that I knew. (laughs) And so I can understand. And, and I know his heart in it is one that is seeking for ways to be a better husband, a better father. He really likes the family aspects of it. Um, but it has given me, I mean, and again, this is talking normally after, you know, having a while to process this. And, and there were many conversations that were also arguments and, you know, where I felt like he was choosing this church over me and I was mm. feeling abandoned, which brought up a bunch of stuff that I was like, oh, I guess I did feel abandoned by my parents at key points in time when they chose to go like hard into the religion instead of supporting their daughter. Like, okay, okay, okay. Like, you know, through, I like to think no fault of their own because they have their own paths and processes and things, but um, it brought that kind of stuff up. So where he and I landed with it is a very respectful place in that he's on his own journey he I've had to realize that he does not see things the way I see them he does not have all the paradigms and lenses and filters and experience that helps me understand that okay while they said this really nice thing about gay people in the app they're doing this thing over here and this is what they actually did and I was part of the people who stood on the side of the road in Hawaii back in 97 and waved signs and support of traditional marriage. I know what's really going on here. Like, you know, so there's, there's been a lot of me having to get centered on who I am and what I believe now in order for this to work. But um, I don't take it as a, like, it doesn't make me disrespect him. It has pushed more awareness into our relationship. And I think he has a lot more perspective on how much I walked away from and the impact of what I walked away from. Cause we were friends for a long time before we dated. And he saw me struggling as a friend with, do I go to this church? Do I not? Like he was one of the friends who had happy hours. And I was like, well, I'm going to come here now. And he's like, okay, cool. And I'm like, I'm stressed about whether or not I should go to the temple for my brother's wedding. And he's like, what's the big deal? Just go and support your family. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> like, you know, so, but he didn't get the context. And now he's like, okay, I think I get the context a lot more because the poor guy also had to deal with a wife who looked to be very emotionally well put together, but 
didn't have any of those real skills that most people develop in relationships. Cause all I ever expected at a marriage was, well, you're going to be a priesthood holder and I'm going to go run the relief society or the primary, and I'm going to defer all the things to you. And this is going to work because 80% of people who are following this path and life together can work together. And that's not how real relationships work, <laughs> but um, you know, that was just all part of, I think, you know, mainly the first five years of marriage when we're trying to figure each other out. And then it's like, now that we've gotten through all of that stuff, now he's brought in this. And so it's actually brought in a layer of like compassion and understanding from him that wasn't quite fully there before. Um, but he's on his own path and he's smart. And we've, we've gotten to where we can talk about things and, you know, he's seeing things and he's seen a couple of things. And I think if the missionaries drop by unannounced one more time, that might just be it, but we'll see what happens. <laughs> I have a question for you with all of your experiences and your gifts and everything that you've noticed and recognized about yourself, your ability to public speak, your love for public speaking, your gift of optimism and your, all your experiences in the church. If you had one prime message that you could share, if you had a mic and the whole world could hear it right now, what would it be? it's yours. Like two words. Is that enough? No, like whatever it is. Yeah, that, on it. yeah. Whatever it is that you have, whatever it is that's making, that's making a difference or making progress or that you engage in that you feel good about it's yours. Um, and there's, you know, a lot of platitudes and phrases about the powers within you. I mean, shoot, one of my favorite stories growing up was the Wizard of Oz with the ruby slippers and there's no place like home and it was, it was in you all the time. Like, this is not an uncommon message. And yet, I think there's a difference in the message and stepping into actually believing that about yourself. Um, but yeah, if there's one thing I could shout to everyone, it's all those good things inside you, it's yours. Yours as um, compared to someone else, something outside of you. Right. So or if I was saying it for me, I would say it's mine. <laughs> yeah, it's intrinsic. It's mine. It's, it's mine to have and to play with and to experience life. And yeah, it's, it's all inside me, everything I need. I, I think one of the greatest like hidden mysteries in this world is this whole phrase, I am. I mean, you talk about God in the Bible and it's the great I am and all these like clues and hints. And yet, I feel like it doesn't land, or at least it didn't start to land for me until I started to think, no, really, I am. Okay, I am. Um, and I feel like I'm just starting to scratch the surface of how broad and how big and how fun that can be. But, you know, putting together some uh, pieces and picking up some puzzle pieces and <laughs> trying to use my voice and my experience to help other people who are having their own experiences along the way. But at the end of the day, I am. And so how does that conflict with, you know, what you were taught by your mom or maybe what you were taught by the church? Well, when you put it that way, the thing that I was taught within that construct was that I am nothing without this. So that's a pretty direct conflict. So how, how have you reconciled that? I mean, do you, so you feel stronger because, because yeah. you've 
owned it and allowed it to completely uh, be yours? I think it's stronger. Yeah, it definitely feels stronger. It feels less fearful when I'm making big choices. Less like I'm really hoping something happens and more like I'm trusting that things are all going to work out for the good. And it, it comes after examining a lot of evidence in my life that things are going well and have gone well and will continue to go well. Um, yeah, I think it's, it's really just a place of practice too. I mean, it's, it's, there's no shortcut to getting to the place where everything starts to synthesize. And I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like I have a lot more appreciation for when I look back and think about the mindset and the different things that I've come through, I think that there's no way I could have known then what I know now in the way I know it now, because I hadn't had these experiences yet. I hadn't known it. And now that I have a little bit of time and space to measure that back against, I'm pretty confident that six months, a year, six years from now, there's a bunch of other stuff that has been right in front of my face the whole time that I haven't seen. <laughs> like, I am sure that there is more to experience and learn and grow. And, and I get to do that. I get to do that without a lens or a framework or somebody telling me what it's supposed to mean. I can lean into my instincts. And it's just like any muscle you go to work out, like you work out the muscle more, you get more results from it. So over time, as I've worked out those muscles of moving, acting, trusting, going, it's gotten stronger and it's gotten better. And I feel more confident about it now. So when you talk about these, the experiences that you had with trust, how does that apply to how you trust yourself? Oh, gosh. Hmm. Because it sounds like you trusted mom and then you trusted what you're yeah. being taught in the temple and you trusted this guy. Was this supposed to be a therapy session or is that just a bonus? Is that just, <laughs> is this just, is this just freebie bonuses? Because man, you guys, I didn't, I didn't expect this level of reflection back at it because it's true. Like, oh my gosh. Wait till we start talking about you behind your back. <laughs> uh-huh. I'm still an admin in the group when I can kick That's you out. <laughs> you <could. That's> right. <laughs> you, you want to go to Facebook jail? I've been there. It's not fun. And it's ridiculous. Who put me in Facebook jail? Anyhow, side note. Um, no, trust. That is a very interesting thing because maybe part of the reason I'm starting to trust myself so much more is that I've had so much evidence that when I give that trust to someone or something else, mm. it's not returned. So why wouldn't I start? I mean, I guess I could go back and keep on trusting other things because that's comfortable and familiar. Maybe, maybe that, maybe that's why it's gotten easier. And do you think trust is an important thing for your own self-worth and for your own journey? And a million percent. Um, Huge, huh? I think so I mean, too. That's a, that's a big percent. Yeah. And I have so much evidence that I, it's, it, things work out well when I trust myself, even, you know, the knee jerk reaction of leaving South Carolina and moving to Phoenix was one thing, but I also, I trusted myself to do that. And 
it was it was the hospital I needed <laughs> for my life for those next things. Phoenix is where I started working for Make-A-Wish. Phoenix is where I met my husband. Phoenix is where I adopted three kids. Like I had a lot of really great things. Phoenix is where I met my chosen family because we have, you know, I, I still have a, a very large <laughs> Mormon family that I'm part of. Um, but, you know, the chosen family people are just, I don't know, there's just something so cool and unique about that when you connect and you bond and it's like, no, I'm, I'm going to like you regardless of what we're doing. And I don't know. All of those things were necessary in Phoenix. And yet, um, I mean, talk about trust. This move that we made, we bought a house sight unseen, a little bit nuts, um, but cool because it has worked out better than I imagined. So maybe that's part of my current energy right now. It's like big trust energy because I've got a lot. I am looking out the window at 12 acres of evidence that it's okay to make up your mind about something and magically things are going to shift and open up to put you into that place that you want to be. Our, our home in Phoenix was not big enough for three kids plus three dogs plus two people working from home. Couldn't afford anything in Arizona because that market blew up, but good heavens, do I love this place. Like when I die, I want my ashes scattered right here because it's cool. And I don't know, the more I trust myself, the more I see big results and cool things happening in my life. So it gets easier to trust it. The more I give myself evidence that I'm pretty good at being trustworthy. I love that. Yeah. We've got about a couple minutes before we wrap up. Is there, and, and I know you kind of framed that Wendy is like, if there's any message that you want to share with anybody, but are, are there any final thoughts that you want to share, Carrie, before we you wrap this up? Just wherever you are, whatever you're feeling, whatever is going on, you're bigger than whatever it is. You've got it. It might feel like it's overwhelming. It might feel like it's too much, but the smallest action is still an action and it's going to shift and it's going to change and it's going to get you to a great place. So just keep moving, just keep going. Um, something I've said to, and this is going to sound crazy, but you know, we went through this process of going through classes to foster and adopt children. And in going through that, like started to learn a lot more about my own trauma and figure some things out. And the classes you attend can be kind of terrifying <laughs> because they go through details about the kind of things you can expect when you're raising children who've had trauma. And like the advice that I ended up turning around for other people is it's okay to be scared and to keep going. So be afraid. Being afraid means you've got your eyes wide open. You're aware of things. You're not going in with that, that false optimism that I like to lean into sometimes. Be afraid and keep moving in your life. So whatever it is you're going through, you can do it. There are resources, there's help, there's support. Nothing is bigger than what you can do. Thank you, Carrie. I love it. You're such an inspiration, Carrie. Oh, gee, thanks. Gee, thanks. <laughs> I release control and surrender to the flow of love that will heal me. Thank you for listening to the Empowered Former LDS Podcast. Now, if you found today's episode interesting or valuable in any way, please share it with someone that you care about. You can also give us a five-star rating and write a review on iTunes, Spotify, or whatever podcast platform you use. 
You can find Wendy and Glenn at the Empowered Former LDS group on Facebook, 3.1 thousand members strong, where you can also discuss this episode with others and sign up yourself to share your own story and thoughts about empowerment on this podcast. Thanks again for listening. And remember, wherever you're at, whatever is going on, you got this. I'm